0: Hey, welcome to Access. John here. If you grew up on a deserted island with nothing but the Bible to read for 20 years and you were later rescued, do you think that you would be surprised as to what you see, or rather don't see, in the average church service? Does it ever feel like something is missing? What has happened to the Holy Spirit? I mean, where did it go? Today we're going to spend some time talking about the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer and hopefully weed out some misconceptions we might have. So get God's Word handy because today's message is entitled, What is the Holy Spirit? Well, before I begin, I want to say that I am not going to be able to explain the Holy Spirit as if I have all the answers. So if that's what you got from the title of this message, I apologize also, I'd like to say that I am very excited to talk about this awesome force in the world. However, I am not worthy to talk about the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I do believe this is something that God has put in my heart to, to preach and to talk about. But uh, let's face it, God's a mystery. And to think that we could even describe one aspect of God in a three-part series is preposterous. However, we will be taking a closer look at Scripture to see the many roles and functions of the Holy Spirit throughout this series. And um, today I want to talk about several of the misconceptions that we might have, namely the largest one. Um, It's my hope that by the time this series is concluded that we can have a deeper understanding of the Holy Spirit and even rejoice about what God is doing now through the Holy Spirit rather than what God has accomplished months or even years ago. Um, There is a lot that we don't know about the Holy Spirit. And because there's a lot we don't know, I think we can often be afraid of this aspect of God. Um, what we do know is that the Holy Spirit is a part of the Holy Trinity, the triune God. In the Great Commission, Jesus commands us as bel- believers to baptize other believers in the name of fa- the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So from the scripture and others, we believe that God is three in one. Now, many studies have been done to explain the Trinity. In fact, there have been several analogies to try to help us to understand. For example, we might say um, the three parts of God. Uh, are like the three parts of an egg. You have the outer shell, you have the egg white, and you have the yolk. Now, all three parts are still one. It's still an egg, Um, but it has three separate parts in one. Or maybe we could say that the triune god is like the three states of water in different temperatures, solid, liquid, and gas. Or my personal favorite, the three aspects of a person. I'm a father, I'm a husband, and I'm a son. I'm still the same person, but I have different roles depending on who I'm talking to. Now, while each of these metaphors might help us to understand the Trinity um, and how something can be three and one, the problem is is that God is not like anything. God is incomprehensible. He's an unexplainable mystery, uh, and in the words of the Princess Bride, he's inconceivable. And now I'm going to have to go watch that movie. But if God is really inconceivable, if we can't even not even, even imagine God. How then could we possibly hope to understand the role and the function of the Holy Spirit? Well, although God is a mystery, he has chosen to reveal himself through scripture, through his son, and through the Holy Spirit. Which brings us to one of the most important roles of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals God's excuse me, the Holy Spirit re- reveals God to us. Can't get that out. Um, and so, what we're going to do today, and this is going to sound kind of weird, is we're going to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to us. Um, and so, first, I want to ask, begin with the question what is the Holy Spirit? In Scripture, the Holy Spirit manifests itself several times uh, once as a powerful fire, another time as a breath from heaven, another time as a dove, another time as a wind, another time, other times as an incredible power to be harnessed. So, what is it exactly? Well, I believe this is one of the greatest problems with understanding the Holy Spirit. It's one of the greatest misconceptions. The Holy Spirit is not a what. He is a who. The Holy Spirit is a person. and This is what Jesus says in John 15, 26. When the counselor, talking about the Holy Spirit, comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth goes out from the Father. He will testify about me. So he's saying the Holy Spirit is not a thing, it's a person. The Holy Spirit has often been abused by the church that God loves because we misunderstand the role that the Holy Spirit has, um, and we, we, we misunderstand it as being a thing instead of the person that Jesus says it is. In fact, whenever preachers start talking about the Holy Spirit, there's often an uncomfortable, awkward feeling that permeates the room. You see, traditional believers fear any message that would encourage others to become, quote, charismatic. Um, They might say, we don't want a bunch of pew-hopping, back-flipping, tongue-babbling going on and around here. That's abusing and blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. And while, quote, charismatic believers um, might be a little bit more active, they fear becoming too traditional and abusing the Holy Spirit by neglecting it. Like, pretending it's not really there. Now, both are legitimate concerns. However, both extremes are abuse especially when we remember that the Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's a person. He is a person. So just in case you aren't sure which of these extremes I think our church can fall into, um, let me just say that I've heard multiple people say that they won't be attending our church anymore because they don't feel comfortable. And that's their prerogative. I'm not going to you know, chase them down. They told me that when they sat through a service, I've had several people tell me this, that they started expressing themselves by lifting their hands in worship and shouting amen during a sermon and and when they did they felt like people were giving them dirty looks and judging them and wanting them to be quiet now do i believe that these people are actually getting dirty looks no i don't think so but i believe that they legitimately feel uncomfortable and decide not to come back and even heard i've even heard them say it's because they feel that quote the holy spirit isn't welcome here What a terrible thing to feel about a church. Now, let's face it. I don't exactly inspire loud amens from the congregation while I'm preaching. That's not really my style. In fact, um, the last time my dad came and preached, I heard people shouting amen, and honestly, I did not know they had it in them. You know, that's fine with me. I don't need verbal confirmation while I'm preaching to feel like I'm speaking on behalf of God. What's not fine with me is anyone saying that they don't feel like the Holy Spirit is welcome here. So if the Holy Spirit moves you to shout amen or lift your hands during worship, go right ahead. Honestly, I think we could we could you know, we could use a little life around here just to show people we're not asleep. But just be careful not to fall into the opposite extreme and that's making your faith a show. Scripture tells us that the church is the bride of Christ. So think of how we interact with the Holy Spirit and how we might interact with our spouse. What would you think if I brought my wife to church and started dragging her around by the arm and saying, Hey Aaron, make that guy not sick anymore. Now speak. Say something powerful. Now jump. Get up. Sit down. Do what I say. Show everyone how great I am by doing something miraculous. Aaron, get behind me and help. I'm about to do a backflip. Now I want you to push this lady down. Here, Aaron, I I want to drink this deadly poison and, and, you know, you're not going to allow me to get hurt. By the way, I'm going to pick up this snake at the same time and I'm going to dance with it and I want you to keep it from biting me. Obey my commands, Aaron. I'm the child of the king and you have to do what I say. What would you think if I said something like that? You would think I am a chauvinist, abusive jerk and you certainly would not respect me because I don't respect my spouse. What if, on the other hand, I brought my wife to church with me and I made her sit in the back? What if I told her she could come in, but she wasn't to speak, and she wasn't allowed to move? In fact, she wasn't even allowed to interact with anybody else. If she felt like she needed to say or or do something, she could do that somewhere else. If somebody brings her up to me, then I'll just look down, shift my feet, and change the subject as quickly as I can. Now, honestly, would you want me to be your pastor? You can take both of these extremes and you can look at them through the lens of not only are we doing this to a person, we are doing this to God himself. While the Holy Spirit is a person, yes, he is God himself. Now think about that for just a minute. This is how we're treating the living God. Did you know that we can incorrectly grade ourselves as a church on whether we have the Holy Spirit or not? You know, growing up as a pastor's son, I grew up getting the behind-the-scenes perspective in church. Um, I, I saw my dad preparing for messages. I listened to him prepare his messages, and um, and I went to church all the time. And so um, I, I've heard people say, you know, the Holy Spirit is really here today, or you know, man, the Spirit was really moving. When in reality, it was just because a lot of people showed up, or because you know my dad or another preacher had an interesting message. Or somebody had an emotional meltdown in front of everyone. Now, while this might sound blasphemous, you don't really need the Holy Spirit to grow the size of the church. I mean, let's be honest. If you combine a charismatic speaker with a talented worship leader and some cool events that people want to participate in, people will show up. Now, this doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is actively working and moving in the lives of the people that are showing up. It just simply means that we've created a space that is appealing enough to draw a few people for a couple of hours a week on a Sunday morning. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price." Now, we're going to go more in depth on what this verse means in a different message, but essentially, it says that if you are a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Now, think about this. Church growers all across the nation claim that the Holy Spirit has entered them on Sunday morning. They claim that God has given them the supernatural ability to follow Christ. Now, this is the question that I just cannot get around. If it's true that we are the temple to the Holy Spirit and He lives in us, then shouldn't there be a huge difference between those who live in the Holy Spirit and those who don't, those who acknowledge God and those who don't? What if I told you that while I I was outside, God came into me and he endowed me with this incredible ability, a godly ability, to play basketball? Now, I know this is a little silly, but wouldn't you expect to see a huge difference between how I played basketball before and how I play basketball now? And when you expect to see incredible speed and a supernatural jump shot and an amazing defensive ability, why is it then that there is so much of a difference between those who have, uh, who claim to have the Holy Spirit and those who don't? Is there a difference? Because, you know, honestly, I don't think the world sees much of a difference between those who claim to have Christ and those who don't. If you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Why is there not so much of a difference? When Jesus was about to leave this earth, he got his disciples together and he explained to them that he was about to leave. Now imagine this scenario. You've literally discovered God, and you can talk to him in person whenever you want. You get to see him do incredible things right in front of your very eyes. And then God tells you that he's about to leave you, and you're not going to see him anymore. Talk about a letdown. But you know, Jesus encourages his disciples and he tells them that he's going to prepare a place for them and even tells them that they will be with him where he is going. But then in John chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, he promises them a greater blessing. This is what he says. Um, he says, Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet not, a, not one of you asked me where are you going. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you will no longer see me. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Now I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. And he will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. All that belongs to the Father is now mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine, and he will make it known to you. Now, in this passage, Jesus describes the lifestyle of a follower of Christ. Now, naturally, his disciples are pretty upset about the news that he's going to leave them, and rightly so. However, Jesus tells them that it is for their good that he leaves them and goes to the Father, because if he didn't, the counselor, which we know is the Holy Spirit, would not come. Did you catch that? Jesus told his disciples, Yes, I've been with you for three years, and yes, you see me do a lot of miraculous things. The Father has even revealed to you the truth that I am the Son of God, but it is for your good that I go so that you can receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus says it is better to have the Holy Spirit. When Jesus' disciples heard that 2,000 years ago uh, he was going to lead them, it no doubt was difficult for them to grasp. Like, how is this going to be better? It's like when people say, don't worry, dear, your friend might have died, but they will always be with you in spirit. And whenever I hear this, I think, I don't want them in spirit. I want them in person. But Jesus said it was better for them to have the Holy Spirit than the embodiment of the Son. Now I think that 2,000 years later, most of us would choose a physical person over an invisible spirit. But what do we do with the fact that Jesus said that it was for our good that the Holy Spirit would come? Why is it for our good? Why is it better? Well, Jesus says the Holy Spirit has three main tasks. It convicts us of sin, it shows us a path to righteousness, and it leads us in judgment. Now, according to Jesus, not believing in him is the sin. Now, I read a post the other day which said, you know, uh, not believing in Jesus is not what sends you to hell, it's being a sinner and not having someone to save you. Now, while I understand the sentiment, to take, it's to take the heat off of Jesus and put it on the person who sins, it's not actually what Jesus said. Jesus said who, anyone who does not believe in him has committed the ultimate sin and has blasphemed against the Holy Spirit. In fact, in John three sixteen through 18, we get a greater picture of this truth. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That is the sin that the Holy Spirit teaches us. And it even enables us to repent from that we must believe in Jesus The Holy Spirit teaches us and even enables us to believe that He is the Son of God and to surrender our lives over to Him. The Holy Spirit also teaches us about righteousness. Now, Jesus said that He was going to the Father and that He would no longer be around to do this for His disciples. Think about this. Every one of Jesus, Jesus' parables, every one of his anecdotes, every single miraculous scenario that Jesus played out led people, led his disciples on the path of righteousness. Now, while we know that those who have faith in Christ no longer stand condemned and are made righteous in God's sight, there is still the reality that we must continue to strive for righteousness, continue to strive to be like Christ. And this is not just for our sake. It is for the sake of God's work through us. God calls his believers to a righteous lifestyle, not so they can be saved and spared from hell, for Christ has already done that, but so that they can be used in the most effective way, so that their life might not be wasted. Now think about this for just a second. Are you old enough to know what it's like, uh, what what it was like, life was like before the internet? Do you remember how difficult it used to be to spread the message about something? I mean, if you wanted to send somebody a mail, you had to write an actual letter and you had to mail it. And, and it cost... 35 cents, or back then, I guess about 29 cents a, 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 a stamp. Now imagine life before electricity and a telephone. How much harder would it have been to share a message? Jesus told his disciples, listen, I'm limited. You know, I can only be at one place at once. And Jesus told his disciples that, that he would be, they would be better off because now instead of hearing truth in their ears, they would hear it in their hearts. The Holy Spirit guides each disciple to righteousness in all places at all times. And also the Holy Spirit teaches us about judgment. Now Jesus says he has overcome the prince of this world, which he's talking about the devil. In other words, the Holy Spirit supersedes the conscience. Now, um, the idea that you have a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other that guides you in your decisions, that is extremely childish and immature in, in faith. The truth is, is that before the Holy Spirit lived in you, your conscience just condemned you. Your conscience would tell you, this isn't right. This isn't right. Hey, this isn't right. But because your flesh was weak, you did it anyway. And if you didn't, then you used that example as a source of pride and it convinced yourself uh, that you weren't a sinner in need of salvation. I'm a good person. Once saved, however... The Holy Spirit gives you the power to overcome sin. Now, I will never forget the conversation that I had with a pastor who used to be an addict. He said, you know, I always had the will to quit. I always wanted to quit drugs. But until I heard about Christ, I never had the power. The Holy Spirit gives us the power to overcome sin, leads us in a path of righteousness, and gives us sound judgment. Jesus goes on to say in verse 12 that he has much that he wants to tell his disciples, but they're not yet ready to receive it. And because Jesus is leaving, he tells his disciples the Holy Spirit will share with them uh, truth at the right time when they need to hear it. Now, this is why life in Christ is never boring. God, through use of the Holy Spirit, allows you to suffer to guide you to truth when you're ready to receive it. And we often ask, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, if you're being honest, you'd acknowledge that there are no good people, that as Jesus said, only God is good. The better question would be to ask, why does God allow people I love, even myself, to suffer? The answer, though, is so that you will be shaped into Christ. Peter said in 1 Peter 4.13, But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Who reveals it to us and when? The Holy Spirit reveals it to us when we're ready to receive it. And God knows the appointed time. You know, when we read our Bibles, especially in the New Testament, we see men and women doing incredible things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go into more of these next uh, next week, but just for, for an example, um, a few examples Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says when, when uh, they, talking about Peter uh, P- Peter and James, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me, when they, the Pharisees, saw the, the courage of Peter and John, they realized that they were unschooled, un- un- unschooled ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note of these men, and they said you know they must have been with Jesus. In other words, um, they were able to speak on behalf of God, and they, they didn't have an education. How is it that they're able to do this? The Holy Spirit—it does things in us that causes others to ask, "How is this even possible?" You know, Philip ran the speed of a horse-drawn chariot in Acts 8:28. Peter he raised Habitha from the dead in Acts 9:40. Paul ra- raises uh, Eutychus from, from from the dead after he fell out of a window in Acts chapter 20 verse 10. In Acts chapter 5 verse 12, it says the apostles perform many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The disciples of Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, did all kinds of miraculous deeds. Why don't we see more things like this in church today? Why don't we see more things that cause people to ask, how is this even possible? Now, this is my conclusion, and you can agree with me if you, if, if you like. You can disagree with you if you like. I believe the reason we don't see more miraculous signs in church is because we're not supposed to see them in church, but out in the world as we minister and teach the gospel. Second, I believe that we often ignore the Holy Spirit and we try to achieve God's goals with human ability. Much of the time, we're afraid to act or move because we know that we're unable to do the things that God is calling us to do because of our own limitations. We know we should be ministering in the world, but we feel scared or, or unable to comply We're scared to follow because we don't want to fail. And I recently read a quote that said, if a man isn't at least 51% convinced that he can succeed, he won't even make an attempt. And so we often miss opportunities to have the Holy Spirit move in and through us because we get caught up in what our own limitations are. We know, I can't do that. Why would God want me to do that? I can't do that. But listen, it's never by our own power that we are called to follow Christ, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. More than likely, you know someone who has a healthy marriage, right? Do you know someone who, would, who you would go to and ask marital advice from? What makes you think that they have such a healthy marriage? Does the husband boss around the wife? Does the wife neglect her husband? More than likely, if you know a couple that has a healthy marriage, it's because they are inseparable. They actually want to be around each other. They love nothing more than to serve one another and to talk with one another and and to do things together. They don't bark out commands at each other or try to make the other person feel inferior. They simply display genuine love for one another by making choices to submit to one another. I would like to suggest that this is the role the Holy Spirit wants to take with us. And while the Holy Spirit will always want to take the lead, God desires nothing more than to be with us and to serve us as we submit to him and serve him. That is the love relationship that he wants to take. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, next week, we're going to go into more detail about the role of the Holy Spirit through Scripture in the lives of the disciples. Today, I just want to ask you, do you have the right kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit? I mean, what kind of spiritual marriage do you have? Do you have a spiritual marriage where you constantly bark commands? Do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit where you ignore and and try to neglect uh, the Holy Spirit and do everything on your own? Jesus said it was for our good that he goes away so that the counselor can come. Let me ask you do, you, do you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit? When was the last time you experienced something that the Holy Spirit did that made others ask, how is this even possible? If your answer is, well, it's been a while, why do you think that is? We're not talking about manipulating the Holy Spirit here and, and getting out in our spirit sticks and waving them around. We're talking about putting ourselves into the position where we can be manipulated by the Holy Spirit. And again, the Holy Spirit is not a thing. It's a person. He's a person. Submitting to the Holy Spirit can be scary because we don't know what He's going to do when He gets a hold of us. But to keep in mind... Jesus said it is for our good that the Holy Spirit comes. Today I want to end with a passage of Scripture. This is something the Apostle Paul said to the church in Corinth. He's talking about the Spirit. He says, uh, this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17-18, through 18. he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces, all reflect the Lord's glory. We are being transformed into His likeness, We're ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I would really challenge you to spend time in God's Word and spend time in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to take hold of your heart and your life that he might transform you into the Spirit of Christ, knowing that the Holy Spirit is not something to be afraid of, but the Holy Spirit gives us freedom to live a life to which we are called. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.